All right, we interrupt your normally scheduled programming for an emergency notice from localcast.net. Craig is on the ground with a report now. What's going on, Craig? Well, Rick, it seems that this has been an incredibly heavy news week out here. There are crowds of information coming our way. It's just unbelievable. If you look over to my left, you'll see just an amazing amount of news stories happening this week. Back to you, Rick. Crap. Sounds like we're working on an off week. Yes, it does. <laughs> Anyways, in case you haven't noticed, we're recording an additional local cast because we just found that there was so much crap going on that we wanted to chat about that we would just might as well record it. There you go. Um, how are you surviving the snow apocalypse part 12 or whatever now? You mean there's snow on the ground? Uh, I've <laughs> since the last four hours, we've got about four inches. So, I mean, we're doing all right up here. I don't know how you're doing down there. Yeah, I, all I know is that uh, in the morning it's going to be shoveling time. So yeah, I'm thinking about shoveling before I go to bed, which means it's going to be a late night. Yeah. Um, but I hey, to that. pretty, pretty. I got my new mic. Ooh, I see this. It's yeah. a very nice microphone. Darth yeah. Vader says thank exactly, you. Exactly, exactly. All black now. Yeah, it's all matches a little bit better now. Um, yeah, no, I uh, I wanted to try to go back to an XLR versus a USB input. You know, I had the USB mic, but that's great, except you can only use one mic at a time because it's USB and Linux and audio hate me. Well, so, it only supports one USB audio input at a time. Yeah, exactly. So I've got, I've got an existing M-Audio box that I had before, which will let you do stereo, which means I can do two mics. And then I can split the two mics down into two mono channels or whatever. I can So I can basically record two people at once with that, and I want to, hopefully, we'll use that for some of the upcoming events and stuff to get some lovely recorded interviews and material for future Cast episodes. I'm just waiting for the episode where you show up at some strip mall that you bought because it's going to be Cast Towers or something like that. <laughs> I can see no, this happening. No, the I'll be honest. I was looking at what... I was just curious what used... And refurbed Max went for. <gasps> you didn't. <laughs> uh, so the goal, what I want to do, we last year at Ohio Linux Fest we did recordings, we did some interviews, and oftentimes we needed four mics, which is what I wish I could have had. Right, we had two guests with us, like we had the two guys from the Ohio Loco, and then you and I, and I'm like, you know what? If I could do four inputs, I think I could be happy. And if the group was bigger than that for some odd reason, which I think four is like the limit for a good recording anyway, you know, then basically you could space the mics out and, and crank them up or whatever, and, and four would, would cover most area anyway. Except that I can't find a single way to get four inputs into a Linux machine. It does not like doing it. Everything has drivers for Windows and Mac, and the reports on a lot of the stuff is that on Windows it doesn't work that great anyway. And so I was just looking. Obviously, I'm not been granted just looking, permission. Huh? I've not been granted permission to buy anything. Sorry, it's... officer. I was just in the neighborhood. Oh man, <laughs> with my Brutal. wallet hanging out. I just someone, someone, please write in and tell me how I can record four inputs in Linux, please. Please save me from myself. We're forming a queue. Oh, the I told you so queue. Oh, <laughs> I hate Apple. I got through yesterday. I went to a dinner movie with my aunt, and um, she was talking about this problem she had trying to get her iTunes to go between her machine and my uncle's machine or whatever. And I'm like, stop giving Apple money. And um, so yeah, it's I, I'm not cured of that problem yet. I just I just want I want four mics. I do. 
Uh, pretty soon you'll be starting up the Audible subscription in iTunes. And then no, 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 no. I've got Audible on my Hanging out with your iPhone and your iPad and your iDoc and your iThis, iThat, me, me, me. <laughs> oh, no. If I have anything with i in it, just shoot me. I give you permission. <laughs> shoot me and take my four mics that I, that I have with it. Um, but let's get this party started. Um, events, we're going to keep it short and sweet, but we do want to get out that uh, the, the Ubuntu Global Jam calls for events and participation is shooting and through the rafters out there. The jam is going to be the 1st through the 3rd of April, and obviously and going to be some celebrating time for some natty release coming at some point in April. In the or near no, future. Right? <laughs> April's four, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, um, get out there, get your uh, your local and participating. You know, uh, get some stuff going together in your state and your local. Uh, you know, the bug jams, packaging jams, documentation jams, whatever you want to call them. You know, go out there and help really test to make this a good release. It uh, it makes a difference. <laughs> Ready for the news? Let's stick with the uh, the Ubuntu specific stuff first. Okay. So right off the bat, uh, Ubuntu 11.04 drops release candidate. Now it's not that they dropped the release candidate as in they released it. No, they're just playing and not having a release candidate, which makes me start thinking that there may be some trouble over in Canonicalville with the new Natty release. I'm well, wondering if they're trying to do way too much I, in this release. I, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt because in the actual article, they, they talked specifically about how that th- this was going to fall on a holiday weekend or something like that. It was, was going to fall right by a holiday. And like, all right, I understand like, you know, you, you, you know, if I had a release falling right by Christmas, it's either going to happen before it or probably after it so that if case it all blew up in bits, I'd have time to fix it. So... I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Um, although, like you say, they are trying to do an entire lot. I mean, this is this is going to be a big release. This is the most ambitious release I think that they've done in quite some time. Well, I think uh, Unity. I think Unity alone changing changing UI on people is enough to to make this. This is going to be. I'm I, I'm going to sit back and watch this. Curiosity. I don't know. I'm going to watch it. I don't don't want to say it's going to be a storm because you automatically think of you know storms with flying poo flying around. Well, yeah. I I I think. I think morbid curiosity is probably the best way to describe this. Yeah. Although, you know, I'm hoping for the best. Hoping for the best. I am too. I am too. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm looking forward to seeing how some of this stuff pans out. Because, you know, Unity, while I'm not a huge fan of it, it, uh, it does have some things in there that make me a little interested in what's going on. I really do think that Wayland is is a bridge to the future of Linux. It's not even more about that though. That's so far down the road right now. Yeah, but still, I mean, they're they're still, like I said, there's a lot going on in this release. There's a lot of moving parts, and mm-hmm. it's going to be fun. And one of those moving parts is Banshee. Yes. Now, as you may or may not know, Banshee is going to be the default in the, the latest Natty right. release. The community decided this back at UDS. The vote was taken by the community. They said, we love Banshee. We want it the default app. 
in the next release. So, Canonical went over to the Banshee team and said, hey, you guys ship with Amazon MP3 support uh, for the store. And they said, we like a 70%. We, we have two options for you. One is that we'll turn it off by default and we'll give you 100% of the, the proceeds or whatever for Banshee for every store purchase that goes out of there. Because right now, Banshee uh, sends... I don't know how much of their stuff over to the Gnome project. I'm not sure. 100%. Is it 100%? It's okay. 100%. Yeah, so, I mean, for those of you guys that don't use Banshee, basically, if you use Rhythmbox, for instance, if you go in there, there's a little button on the left there for the Ubuntu One Music Store to buy your music. Banshee's had this, except they have it with the Amazon Web Store for their Amazon MP3. So they, it's just like a little option. It's like a little window part of the app. And from the minute that the community decided they want to Banshee by default, I remember in IRC going, I'm curious to see what's going to happen with the music store. Because it was a big deal when they got support. You know, Linux has been dragging behind this on the iTunes bandwagon. People loved iTunes because they could just go in there and there was a store and they could buy their music and it's right there and it, they could play it right away. So to have this built into, you know, Banshee was a big deal. And come to find out that what they did is they set an affiliate code from the Amazon affiliate code to 100% to the Gnome Foundation. And I guess like last month, was it last month? Was it 10 grand or was it 10 grand total? I mean, basically sends some thousands of dollars a month to Gnome, you know, to the foundation itself, not to, um, you know, SUSE or the, you know, any of the, pro, you know, anyone hiring anyone to develop stuff on Banshee. But we're talking about a sizable chunk of change that's going to the Gnome Foundation because of affiliate code stuff. Right. So it depends on how you define sizable. And that's how it is right now, right? That's the current number is that number right now. And that's before it's the default on Ubuntu. So Canonical went to them with the agreement, okay, if you're going to have this in there, we'll either, A, turn it off by default, and then you can keep on doing what you want to do, or B, we will turn it on by default but we'll ask for a 70% cut. 75, now, yeah. Now, that to me sounds like uh, like the, the here's an offer you cannot refuse. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you would like, we can either break your legs or you take 70% skiff off no. of the top. And it's like, in, no. Okay, first off, if you, if you got 70%, 70%. 75, is, before we get beat up by the critics out there. How much? 75. Was it 75? I it thought was it was 70. It was 75. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> so asking for 75% right off of the top of something, to me, does not sound like you're doing a negotiating ploy. It sounds like you're, again, you know, Big Vinny is going to come by with the baseball bat. Uh, it's, it, it's not that bad. Right, I'm, I'm very torn on this. Okay, because like I said, I saw this coming from the from the minute they, they did this, and I saw this coming up. And he, here's the way I look at it, right? Is that Canonical is a company that aims to be profitable, right? And, and last everyone heard is not profitable, and they're trying to find ways to build a company and build a revenue model around shipping a free Linux distribution and doing a lot. Of, I mean, shipping CDs, supporting people. I mean, the, you know, hiring people, you know, sending I me mean, our loco. We ask them for, Hey, send us stickers and stuff that costs money and they send it to us. So, I mean, let's just say first canonical good, right? As a whole, we kind of like canonical, but yeah, they're I'm trying, they're trying to find ways to make money, right? They're, they're trying to be profitable. We want them to stick around for a few more years at least. Right. Well, I want to stick around for a very long time. I right, mean, they right. hire several of our friends and such. 
I think the the problem that as I see it is that the moment that they decided to go to the Banshee Project and even approach this, they were going to look like complete asses no matter right. what they did. They, they were in a no-win, no-win situation. Yeah. I thought the idea of the music store was a brilliant move for them to have a revenue model of, hey, everybody, you know, because Ubuntu has a reputation, and rightfully so, of being a desktop OS. It's on a lot of desktops out there, and people who have desktops buy music, and if you buy music and get a cut for it, then that's income, right? And it's what's great is that it's you know you do, you do the development to get the thing going, but once it's going, it should just basically produce money without you having to do a whole lot anymore, right? Exactly. You can go back and concentrate on the the uh, the whole system, the ecosystem, not just you know oh we're oh, we're just paying all of our devs just to go work on this music app. So when they first brought out the music store, I thought this was brilliant. You know, they're working with the Ubuntu One stuff to be able to stream your music collection. I mean, they're, you know, they're doing good stuff there. When the community, who is not Canonical, decides we would like Banshee out of the box by default, Canonical has to go, well, crap, we've done a lot of work to get this revenue model started. We're, you know, not quite reaping all the rewards of it yet. We're still working on tying it into Ubuntu One and all this stuff. And they have to worry about a real conflict and issue. If they leave the Amazon Music Store there out of the box, people are going to go, oh, I have two options to buy music, and I already have an Amazon account. Why would I sign up for a new Ubuntu One account? I'll just buy it from Amazon. It's faster and easier. And then they bypass Canonical entirely. Right. And then the other yeah. part is that you know there are advantages to using the Ubuntu One, right? I mean, it has a limited, a more limited set of music, but you get things like the tie-ins with the Ubuntu One setup, the syncing across your machines and all that, which you don't get with the Banshee One. But if you don't know that, if you don't look that stuff up first, you're just going to default to the Amazon because odds are you already have an account for that. Well, and, and personally, I, I've bought through both stores. I bought through Amazon and through Ubuntu One, and I personally prefer Ubuntu One. And the way that it's handled. Number one, because I don't have to buy or I don't have to download their 32-bit downloader. And yes, I know that there is some other you know thing that will allow you to download stuff. <laughs> yeah, I use my phone. Here. I appreciate. I actually, it. yeah, I use my Android phone. I actually haven't bought anything on the desktop for a while. I just pull it straight to my phone. Right, but and the thing is, it it is integrated enough. It syncs with all of my machines. I don't particularly like the fact that the amount of music that I've downloaded counts against my two gig quota. Um, however, yeah, that's, I'm, that's a non-issue. I should probably send them the 20 bucks anyway. Yeah, if but, you listen to my last rant that just went out. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like it, put a ring on it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but still, no matter how canonical approach this, uh, they were in a no-win situation. Yeah. I am very grateful that they did offer the compromise of saying, look, we're going right. to turn this off by default. Right. And I think that that is the it's, right way to go about it mm-hmm. when you get right down to it. It's it's the least douchey of the ways to do this. I mean, Apple got into so much trouble this last week because they're talking about taking a 30% skiff off of, the, yeah. uh, off of the subscriptions. And it's like, okay, I understand that the companies are in there to make money. And this is the current revenue model du jour to take a little mm-hmm. bit of, of spiff off of there, but still, I have to. Uh, part of me, though, actually, is disappointed in, in in the Banshee crowd, just because I I have to wonder if they did do the seventy five twenty five split with Canonical. I have to wonder what the numbers would end up being. I'd be very curious. Boy, would I love to just run that experiment for six months and see how much money that could bring in. Because at the end of the day, I mean, that's all free money, right? And that's that's Amazon 
paying out, right? So it's like, man, if if the Gnome Foundation can get a good chunk of money, and if that dollars is you know is, is larger that is amount is larger than what they get now, and Canonical's also getting an amount, and Amazon's funding basically Linux development, I, I have to really smile about that little thought there, and I have to. Um, I mean, I understand like the principle of it was that you know what. You know, if, if you want to take a cut, we're just going to go ahead and, and have it off by default. I completely understand. I back them for that decision and all that. But, boy, part of me just has this, like, man, if I could just get Amazon dollars to fund the stuff that I love, like open source software, oh, I would – it's so hard to say no to that. I don't know. I'm, no, I understand. And, again, I, I think I think if they had approached it with a smaller spiff – you know, say thirty percent per ch- per chance. Yeah, but you have to wonder what because this is an affiliate fee, right? So you have to wonder like what the affiliate fee per song is that Banshee is getting versus what Canonical's cut of a song sold through you know the Ubuntu One store is, and I'm gonna guess that they're not even close. I, I would be floored if the affiliate fee is half of what a, what Canonical was getting, you know, per uh, per file. Right. So. You know, I mean, I understand. I understand their percentage when I think about as you know, as a business and all this kind of stuff. End of the day, I think I think this was going to be fine. Um, hopefully, this will kind of blow over and stuff, and hopefully, hopefully everyone wins, right? Hope you know, hopefully Banshee guys are happy. They're going to get their their app is going to be on CDs, millions and millions of CDs. Um, so hopefully, this will be great for the Banshee crowd. And you know, I mean, you know, hopefully Banshee will be an improvement of an, a music app that Canonical, you know, gets more faithful users that'll have the Ubuntu One Music Store sitting in front of them out of the box. Right. And and I honestly hope that uh, that folks forgive Canonical for what was really a no-win situation, but yeah. still was a, a, a decently held or decently resolved uh, situation. Well, and, and then FYI, I mean, I have seen some people making some comments that there's still some discussions going on. So this could, com- you know, by the time this comes out, who knows, there might be some kind of news that might change in the future. Um, but for right now, I mean, yeah, Canonical isn't a no-win. Yeah. So, and speaking of no-win, uh, we also have a report that Microsoft came out and said, absolutely no free software for Windows, which was kind of a misleading title. Yeah, uh, actually, they were talking about GPL three specifically, right? And, and this was on uh, Windows Phone different. and Xbox, not on Windows. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry, sorry. Yes, on on Windows Phone and Xbox, uh, what it is is they're trying to start up a, an app store, much like our friends over at <laughs> Apple and, and Ooh, App Store. Yeah, where have we heard this before? I don't have one. I want my own Rick App Store. Darn it, Rick's <laughs> Rick's Rants App Store. All the reviews are by Rick's, and they're all rants. That's what I want. There you go. So Microsoft came out and said, no, we don't want anything uh, with the GPL license in it. Uh, folks were coming out and saying, well, maybe it's because of patents. Uh, I came out on, on the side of thinking that, you know, maybe this is Microsoft uh, not knowing necessarily how to handle something that's GPL3. Uh, I know other folks are, are yeah. a little more cynical about that. and It's still a developing story, obviously. There's been – the hubbub was like – this was the same thing with like um – Oh shoot! I'm blanking on the the media app that was in the iTunes store that got yanked because they were VLC VLC yeah. with their you know it's it's a tough call when you get into these app stores and there are their licenses with things and you have an app that's basically being you know it's it's being mass market not mass marketed what's the distributed Supported. yeah 
it's being distributed by a non a non free non party non you know everything. And normally when you once you get into distribu- uh, distribution of some kind of open source thing, a lot of these you know licenses have these clauses that kick in. And this is always where it's fuzzy on how things apply, which is why we have the GPL three to begin with um, was because of the whole you know web apps. I don't deploy. I don't you know deploy anything. Or, well, it was uh, also TiVo that brought a lot of this. Yeah, stuff no, too. Yep, definitely. So I mean, it's interesting. I don't know. My take is that I'm not going to be buying an Xbox or Windows phone anytime soon, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm I'm not looking for my GPL software on there. So you know what, Microsoft, do whatever the hell you want. I don't care. Well, and yeah, I mean, we have Sony go actively going after their hacker community. We got Microsoft throwing out the GPL. I mean, where do you turn to if you're a Linux gamer and you want to use a console? Nintendo. I mean, they've been really <laughs> good in the past, huh? Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess this, this is why you just quit. You just quit making games altogether. Yeah, <laughs> you just sit at your home and play with Pyramid, right? <laughs> exactly. You do. You develop web apps instead. <laughs> Less games, more code. Less games, more code. <laughs> Anyways, what else do we have? We got all kinds of basically non-Ubuntu stuff. We're now in the non-Ubuntu circle. If you're not interested, go ahead and fast forward. But there's lots of cool stuff here. I did want to go ahead and bring up the whole Nokia Microsoft partnership. Speaking. Oh God, this is. Of- Microsoft huge problem. <laughs> I, uh, you know what? This has got so many different angles to it that it's just really, really interesting to me. I, I wish I could again. I wish I could fast forward six months to a year and see how this is going to work out. Um, so see where the players stand after this? Yeah, basically. Well, yeah, so in case you don't know what's going on, basically is that uh, Nokia's. You know they've been losing market. They're still the world leader of phones. However, they've been losing market share hand over fist in the high-end phone world of smartphones and things. They're you know non-existent in the U.S. and their their you know numbers in the foreign world is is definitely cutting down beyond belief. So in order to sa- to save their quote burning ship, um, they decided burning platform burning platform. They decided you know what we we need we need a new platform which they've been working on. If they would just pick one, good grief! They've got like seven different ones internally. If you, I mean, they've never shipped Amiga when they've never shipped out. Uh, was it before Amiga? Wasn't there something else that was going to be that? The well, there was N eight hundred, the Nokia nine hundred. What was that? Mimo what platform it. was it? Uh, Mimo. Mimo, yeah. All right, yeah, Mimo. It was turned into Amigo. I don't know. Anyways, they can't get anything going, but they're going to decide that they're going to basically partner with Microsoft. Lots of money works, changes hands in both directions, I guess. And together they're going to be, you know, a great partner to develop smart, great phones going forward, which basically caused a third of their employees to walk out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the the problem is that Nokia, and I, I read somewhere, and I'm not sure how true this is, but a lot of Finnish people uh, feel that Linux is, is a a national treasure, if you will, or it's 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 a national. I, monument I that. that must be preserved in that, and so if you're if you're going with Microsoft, you're basically throwing out a good finished product and such. So, I mean, I think the big thing is that it, there's a whole lot of people whose jobs depend on the stuff that they're doing out there. When we say a third of their workforce, they were, they were talking like 1,200 people or whatever. So you're talking thousands of employees who are developing, who have been doing this stuff for a while. The Migo stuff, they were supposed to ship their first phone and it got canceled. They're like, you know, it's, you get on that project and you get all the way right up to launch, and then they're like, eh, never mind. I mean, that's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that just well, went down the drain. And this, this too, is, is 
to me, it's akin to Ford saying, you know what, screw it, we're going to start shipping Toyota products now. <laughs> it's a, it is an interesting one. But what I really thought was, so, you know, um, Jeff Law had a good blog post kind of looking through it and, um, you know, some details and things on it. And what was kind of interesting, I, I loved in there that there's this talk about, you know, Microsoft strategic partners and history. And uh, oh, that was beautiful. This great blog post of like, here are other companies who were at one point in time or another strategic mobile part, you know, strategic partners with Microsoft. And it was like, fail, 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 fail. Everyone HP. <laughs> right. You know, went bankrupt. Cut, I mean, it, I mean, basically, yeah. But you think about everyone who's ever strategic partnered with Microsoft in that sense. And the list of people that come out the other side, it's like going into, you know, bankruptcy where you have to like come out the other side and hopefully you can live on. And uh, your success rate doesn't seem to be that great. <laughs> Well, especially depending on the partnership. I mean, it, it seems that any time that there's a, a technology transfer, uh, that Microsoft tends to come out on the higher end of it. The only thing that I can think of that didn't really go south was something like Citrix. That's the only way I can think yeah. of it. Didn't go south. Right. No, that's true. But so it's something to definitely keep an eye on. Um, while I personally am, aren't, you know, I'm not real big into the Mego world and stuff. I, I obviously do like people innovating, doing interesting things. I love my smartphone. I had a Nokia phone at one point in time. I had a Nokia E71. Loved that thing. Best hardware. Keyboard on it was great. I, I miss it still. Um, I don't miss the Symbian OS that was sitting on top of it though. Well, and that was another thing that came out of this too. Is that Symbian was going to get jettisoned and end of life. Which is, yeah, eventually. I mean, the problem is right now there's just too many of them out there and stuff. I mean, it's it's basically going into uh, maintenance mode, I think. Yeah, but still, I mean that that Nokia and Symbian were pretty much hand in hand, so they're they're jettisoning mm -hmm. their major product line, right? You know, which I understand if you've got something to replace it in that. I don't know if Windows Phone Seven is necessarily a good fit, right? For replacing something like Symbian. I mean, Symbian was kind of like the hackers. The phone hackers OS, if you will. <laughs> well, and then if you keep following this this issue right down the path to the fact that QT, the QT framework, which you know, if you run a KDE user, you're well acquainted with, um, is basically it was bought out by uh, Nokia and run by them and their R&D team. And their goal, their whole thing with Migo was that they were, remember originally they had all of the GTK framework set up and they were going to port the whole thing. It was hilarious. They're like, here's a, here's our one phone that runs ROS with GTK apps all in it. And by the way, the next one will be all QT only. And so they basically had to restart from scratch with a whole new uh, framework. But some of the comments coming out of what's going to happen to QT was some of the employees there, especially this one guy in the R&D department, basically said, Quote, desktop QT is not our R&D priority right now. Oh, and suddenly the KDE, yeah, the KDE users go, oh, blah, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> well, too, and uh, Mamo used to be GTK. Uh, right. That was a lot of the stuff that came over there was a direct result of, of being ported from one system over to, uh, via GTK and that. So when they when they said, yeah, we're going to move over to QT, that was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And now to realize that QT is no longer the desktop support uh, focus that they used to have, that that's that's huge. I mean, it's like Nokia in one fell swoop right. said, we're just turning our back on everything open source. I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but boy, does it sound like that. Well, what's interesting is that a lot of the QT stuff can run on Windows. And right off the bat, I think they basically said that the team working on like QT stuff on Windows is gone. I mean, that was like one of those same day, like, all right, boom, forget that part. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, this was like, all right, so the guy in the R&D department says it's not on our priority list right now. Yeah, no, they've been trying to work on shipping this Mego phone forever and ever. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the desktop QT stuff is not an R&D priority. That doesn't mean that it's not supported elsewhere within there or whatnot. However, it would make me nervous, right? And the fact it's dual licensed, so hey, it could be forked and all that. But it's, again, one of those things where a company has dumped a boatload of money of time of people and if they were to walk away from it the project would probably have some suffering to do for a little while so um interesting if you're a kde user you're a kubuntu fan um again all the more reason to keep an eye on how this whole nokia ms partnership thing really plays out does it mean or does it feel like open source is kind of losing the, the wheels on the wagon? We've gotten a few beatings this uh, Oh, my gosh. Recently. It sure is. However, on the open source rocks good side, we keep talking about this, the Freedom Box thing. A guy gave the talk at, uh, at the DevConf, and then we brought it up and talked about it on the show, and then we were talking about how it was coming up again after the Egypt stuff last episode. And then right after our episode, there was a New York Times article interviewing the guy that gave the talk about the Freedom Box. Yeah, so even Moglin has been beating the drum on the Freedom Box, and uh, his his quote is that if he could raise slightly north of uh, five hundred thousand, Freedom Box one would be ready in a year. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting because the idea is based off of existing all the different little the the plug servers. I really don't know what to call them, the little micro servers. His his thing is that the hardware exists, but that the software is what needs to come up, right? And you know, the uh, this actually kind of fits into a lot of like your um, social network stuff because the idea is that you could basically, you know, have this little little mini pocket server that could cost you. They're saying right now they're a hundred dollars, coming soon sixty dollars. After that, thirty dollars kind of thing. But for for you know, double digit dollars, you could have this little box that basically is your network, whether it be your photos, your files, your your um social you know network posts and all this kind of stuff that you could carry around with you you could plug it in anywhere it's mobile and 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 it's very personal this is your little you know corner of the world that you can hold in your hand and plug it in and for you know three dollars a year of electricity it'll run forever kind of thing right my my only problem with this thing is that it seemed like it got a lot of traction after the egyptian protests and I don't think that necessarily the the big problem with Egyptian protests was that they couldn't get to uh, Twitter or anything like that. Is that they couldn't get to the internet at all? They shut well, off the giant kill switch in the sky, and and suddenly Egypt was cut off. But here's my thing, right? We there's been a lot of research in the last I don't know, say five years, on the idea of mesh networks of you know torrent type you know situations where you know you basically have this this. You build a network and things ship around the network all over the place. And and I could see, you know, their problem wasn't even, you know, getting to the Internet. The problem was trying – they were using the social network tools to coordinate and communicate with each other. And so if, if a bunch of these little things could somehow be, you know, deployed across an area in order to mesh network and enable communication through each other in a, in a torrent-like fashion – I think that would be amazingly awesome. So yeah. I could I could see how it could get there. Yes, right now is it there? No, not at all. Um, but we really love the idea, and I know the Debian project has definitely kicked in with trying to get a software stack going for these these freedom boxes. And so, like we said, basically he's looking to raise money to try to get this started. There's a Kickstarter project that. Um, it's trying to raise $60,000 to bootstrap the beginning of it, and they're already close to 40000 after like three or four days here. So we'll have the URL. Um, but if you listen to my last rant that I just went on about you know, finding something to, to donate to once a month or whatever, this is definitely something I would put on the list of, of you know, something worth sending up five bucks to. 
Um, so definitely check it out. And they've actually created a foundation, the freedomboxfoundation.org. So you can actually go there and see some details of what's going on. But he's, you know, the, the guy that gave the talk is out there drumming it up. He's in the New York Times now. They're raising money. It's, uh, I mean, it's not going to probably happen in the, you know, this year. But boy, in the coming years, uh, it, I'll be interested to see where it goes. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting idea. I want to, I want to see more of it. I'm not exactly sure it's it's going to be the the solution that everyone is making it out to be. But on the same token, I'm willing to support it, and uh, they're going to get some cash from me. Speaking of turning off the internet, Uber Twitter. I, I don't know if you are familiar with this client or whatnot. So Uber Uber Twitter is a uh, well. First, we guess we should start right off the bat. So Uber Twitter is a company. Well, Uber Media is the company. They're Uber Media now. Okay. <laughs> That's part of what comes from this. So why don't you go ahead and tell the story first, then we'll go through all the ramifications. Well, okay. So Twitter uh, uh, sl- put the slam down upon uh, Uber Media and said that their their clients that they had were not up to spec, up to the, the terms of service, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so they turned them off in mass, and they, they put out a list of, of some of the things that were causing uh causing consternation with uh with twitter one of the things that this client did is it did direct messages outside of the twitter network and i think that was probably the big thing that caused twitter a lot of consternation but it got me thinking uh since i've been doing a little bit of airport travel uh i don't know if you you know know a lot about airports and that and and how you are pretty much a captive audience once you pass through the gates of uh of security <laughs> and like so now you are now in in the purvey of the seven dollar uh, Starbucks coffee and bagel with cream yeah. cheese. You could transfer basically airport with theme park or um, exactly. I don't know any kind of place where you basically voluntarily go lock yourself in for a day. Exactly, and I think Twitter is is starting to get that feel of being an airport where they feel that they have a captive audience and they can do whatever it is that they want to do, and. So I, I wrote an article myself uh, called "The Internet Is Not an Airport." Basically, the idea is that you know if if folks like Twitter and Facebook start treating folks as though they're a captive audience, that we do have the ability to go elsewhere. We can go to places like Identica or Diaspora or any of these other uh, sorts of social media networking areas, if you will. So check out the article if you want to read more about it. Love to hear your comments and feedback. All right, Especially Rick. yours, Rick. <laughs> I was gonna say, okay, ready, okay. So <laughs> first, um, I you know I do use Twitter. I don't use Identic anymore. Disclaimer, blah 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 blah. Um, second of all, I do think the way Twitter handled this by basically shutting off the clients because evidently they did not communicate with this company previously at all um, is a bad thing. Um, however, and then I will also say that uh, I actually was a big user of their Twidroid, which is an Android Twitter client. I paid for it. I've used it since I got my phone last June or whatever. However, I, I did just happen last month to start using, or this past month, to start using the official Twitter client just to check it out. Um, so I've used it. I've, I've been there. I've done that. Whatever. Um, the way they handled this was definitely poor. I mean, I would expect if a company had a problem with another company that they go talk to the company before they basically inconvenience in a very strong way your users. Uh, that said, I mean, the list of, uh, of things that were wrong, for instance, the company name was Uber Twitter, which Twitter is a registered trademark of, say, Twitter. Um, so that's why they had to rename themselves to Uber Media. And the direct message thing, the reason it was a big issue was that 
they would allow you that their clients would allow you to send longer than 140 character direct message, like say an email. But what it did is it sent your data off of Twitter's network off to this Uber media's network and then sent a link over to the person on Twitter. And so the client, I mean, if you weren't, if you weren't really following what was going on, the user may not be aware that their data is going off of the Twitter network. Right. So I can understand that. You know, if I think I'm sending you a message and I think it's going to end up on your server and my server and that's it, and then it goes off to somewhere else, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. How'd you get my data, my information? What's your privacy policy? And because people equate these clients with Twitter, not the not the company you get it through, right? I mean, if I'm using Twidroid on my phone, I'm using it for Twitter. This this is my Twitter. So I can understand that how they would get defensive about. Okay, look, you know, there's a certain there are certain user experience you know rules here that, and, and they're in the terms of service that you you know you kind of need to stick with, and you shouldn't be doing this stuff. And then and to Uber Media's you know credit. Immediately was like, okay, my bad, my bad. They changed the company name. They updated the clients. They've resubmitted them to the app stores. Of course, now they got to wait through to get through the app stores and all that. By now, most users who, especially if you're a Twitter user, you have no patience whatsoever, have probably <laughs> installed the official client and moved on. And this was probably going to kill um, Ubuntu Media here, or not Ubuntu Media, sorry, <laughs> Uber Media, Uber Media. Yeah. So different you. Yeah, another use. <laughs> but yeah, so it's uh as I you know, your your story is definitely uh valid from the standpoint of you know, once you get mass market you tend to go, well, we own the people, you work with us. And this is just one of those man, I really hate the idea of building a business on somebody else's business, you know, when you're asking them for permission to exist like this. Um, exactly. That's, but, it's kind of dumb. But, you know, they sign up and they do it and they, they go with it and, oh, man, I don't know if I could I, – I couldn't sleep at night if I knew my business could be swept out from underneath me by Twitter flipping a switch, you know, at the end of the day. Or or any organization flipping a switch. I mean, yeah. you know, again, if, if, if let's say you partner with Canonical or something like that and suddenly – you know, the community says that you are no longer part of the distribution in that, and this is part of your business model. Goodbye, you know? Yeah. See ya. But interesting stuff, and, and uh, Craig's post is definitely worth the read, so go check it out. We'll have the link in the show notes. lead on to books so i've been doing a little uh work with arduino boards and that and i'm what you would call not particularly electronics savvy uh i am i i like electronics i think electronics are cool i don't really know my way around a soldering iron not that i don't know that you know you heat stuff up and and the solder <laughs> makes the connections and all the other kind of stuff i understand that theoretically it's just there's I'm too not many buttons there's practice. too many buttons yeah there's too many buttons on it. <laughs> so for the electronics neophyte like me uh wanting to get started with the arduino you know i got the little led blinking in that and it's like okay well now what well, the now what is a book called Getting Started with Arduino by Massimo Banzai. Banzi, I'm sorry. 
And Massimo Bonzi is the person who is uh, directly related to the Arduino project itself. So this is a really handy guide, uh, more so than the documentation that may be available on the network. This has got charts and diagrams to get you set up so that you are getting different things working with the Arduino. So you can you know, do things with, with thermistors and uh, know what type of resistor that needs to go in there so you don't accidentally blow out the LED that you hooked up onto a breadboard. So highly recommended for those folks who want to get a Toys on fire. Toys on fire. Exactly. Yeah, so this is this is a great book to get started. Um, the title again, Getting Started with Arduino by Massimo Bonzi. Very cool. And once again, uh, for another episode, I have not read anything. I have instead been working on getting an EC2 instance up and a build server up to play with my my little bookmark hacking project, so I can start getting builds and a, a running instance of it up and going. So, and the again, lesson of the day is don't run Java in a micro instance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that. Um, but yeah, so you know, motto: code more, read less. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's only February. And hey, my birthday's on uh, the 22nd, so if you want to send me anything, feel free. I like toys. <laughs> <laughs> it's my birthday month. Da-da, da-da. <laughs> my wife hates it when I do that. <laughs> and I think that should do it for this episode of the Emergency News Overlord. Uh, Overload. Local oh, cast. <laughs> We are your news overlord. <laughs> no, news overload. Lococast.net. I'm Rick Harding here with... Craig Maloney. See you next time. <laughs>